Amen. You can have a seat. If you have a copy of God's Word, meet me in Romans chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 9. In just a moment, we'll read verses 9 through uh, 21. Again, uh, welcome to uh, Journey Church. My name is Daniel. I get the opportunity to teach God's Word today and serve here as a lead pastor. You're here on week three of three of a series that we've titled uh, The Vision of Journey. And we begin a brand new series next week called Into the Quiet that I'm super excited about, which is all uh, about studying uh, Jesus's mode of going into the quiet and how it fueled his life. And so uh, I hope that you'll join us next week for that. But I'm going to walk through where we've been thus far in this series, uh, the first Sunday of the year, then last week, and now uh, wrapping this up uh, this week. And so we kind of uh, charted out this course by going to Romans chapter 12 and walking through it. In the first week, we actually picked up a couple of verses at the end of chapter 11, but we've kind of slowly made our way through Romans uh, 12 over uh, three weeks now. And as a part of that, in week one, we introduced a new vision uh, statement uh, to encapsulate this next season of our church, which is this. We exist to see God glorified through life change for the good of Jonesboro and beyond. And we saw in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 12, two, that the passage moved in this way, that Praise for God, for his great grace unto us as his people uh, is a response to his rescue mission, that he's the one who started it, that he's the one who will see it through to produce life change within us through that word that Paul uses is to transform or to renew our mind, that he'll constantly be at that work. And it's not just in the activity of salvation, but he's going to continue to be with us through this entire process uh, over a lifetime. And then last week, we looked at Romans 12, 3 through 8, and also introduced a new mission statement. A vision statement is why you exist. A mission is how you said accomplish that vision. That mission is this, is to develop and release authentic followers of Christ for the glory of God and the good of Jonesboro and beyond. In Romans 12, 3 through 8, we saw that how God continues to will and to work in the life of a Jesus follower that he gifts his people and an empowering by the Holy Spirit to do the work that he calls them to do. He doesn't actually leave us, but he sticks with us, empowers us to do the work that he calls us to. For either one of these messages, you can jump back on our podcast or uh, our YouTube channel to see it. But I wanna walk through week, in uh, this week, Romans 12, nine through 21, and talk about a strategy of how do we see God working in the scriptures, in our lives, in our church to continue that work of life change, continue that work of development, continue that work of developing and releasing his people to go and do the work that he's called them to. And it begs the question for for Paul, for the New Testament, for the scriptures, for what it looks like to follow Jesus, what is the best context for transformation and releasing into ministry to actually take place? Where is the best place, if you will, that God will continually work in our lives, equip us in our lives, and call us to be released to do his work in our lives? And because you could read Romans 12 as three very disjointed passages. Oftentimes you hear them preached uh, just the kind of the text breaks that we walked through the past three, you know, you go verses one and two in chapter 12, then three through eight, and then now nine through 21. And they're very 
disjointed. One talks about transformation of uh, us becoming more like Jesus. One talks about how the Holy Spirit gifts us. And now another is all these lists of commands. You're actually going to see when we read the text, it's anywhere from uh, 16 to 30 commands from Paul um, that he just gives one command after another. It's just like if you're bullet journaling and there's like random thoughts that come into your mind, it feels like that uh, in this passage. But as you see this, this whole chapter working together and flowing together for Paul, the best context for transformation and the best context for equipping in ministry always happens in the context of relationships, that there is no Han Solo mission for following Jesus, that it would actually be much easier if it was me, my Bible, and just my prayer closet. That when it gets messy or complicated, that much sin is revealed in my own heart is in the context of relationships where I need other brothers and sisters in Christ to help me know what it looks like to more authentically follow Jesus, to help spot my giftings, to help spot my weak spots, to help point out my blind spots. Like I need other followers of Jesus. That transformation happens by the Spirit of God, and that Spirit of God leads us into the activity of working out in the ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's always in the context of the people of God. And this is what Paul does. He moves into this uh, passage of talking about transformation, gifts of the Spirit, and now let's put it in the context of community. Romans 12, 9 through 21. This is the scriptures. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another by another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. With all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In this passage of scripture, Paul, moving from transformation to the gifting of the Spirit, now says, how do we put this thing into context? Just in good Pauline fashion, he'll go through all these different ways that the God has been working throughout time and history and even is actively working in the local body of believers, but he always puts it in the context of loving one another and being in a Christian community. These commands, if you will. One scholar called them the Paul's commandments for relationships. But how is this thing actually going to work out? I sat down in my, in my study and I tried to say, okay, how many phrases do I see broken down in here? And there's anywhere, depending on how you count them, you could even group them into 10 categories. But how many, 
commands, if you will, where Paul's saying, do this or don't do this, do we see in there? And I already said it once, but I'll say it again. There's anywhere from 16 to 30 different commands. I, I, I counted uh, 27, depending on how you count. But like I said, there's difference of opinion on what they are. But he says all of them uh, nonetheless. But let's walk through them really slowly. If you want to write them down, if you want to take a picture of this screen uh, behind me, they'll have all 27 or so of them putting in my own words on some of these phrases. But he starts like this in verse nine. He says, show genuine love. Show genuine love. So be authentic in that. He says, abhor or hate evil. There should be this guttural response in your stomach where you see something evil, that it's not just something that we pass by, but it's something that we, that we actually hate that. Then he says, hold on to what is good. Don't let go of it. Verse 10, he says, love each other. Outdo in honor. Verse 11, he says, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy, but show your passion. When you're passionate about the Lord, show it. And then he says, serve the Lord. Then he jumps down in verse 12 and he says, rejoice in hope, be patient during the hard times. Always be praying. Give towards the needs of others. Show hospitality when there's an opportunity to do so. Bless those who harm you and do not harm those who harm you. Rejoice with each other, cry with each other, live at peace with each other, be humble. Hang out with those of low social status that will benefit you in no other way than you being the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Don't get even. Think through it and then do the right thing. Don't do your part to live at peace with everyone. Trust in the Lord, not yourself when you're wronged. Give your enemy food and drink. Don't do more evil even when it's done to you. Do good even when evil is done unto you. 27 or up to 30 different commands where Paul gives to his people that he's listening to or writing unto in Rome. And what's interesting here, the kicker in all of these, with the exception of maybe verses 11 and 12, unless you can make a good argument, which I probably might be able to, but I'm not gonna spend time doing that. All of these, our requirement is having someone else in your life. The requirement in each one of these commands that you would actually be able to do is you need other people to actually fulfill these commands. That this is the Paul's commandments for relationships. So what's the best context for transformation, for the spirit of God to work in our lives? Yes, one-on-one, the spirit working in your life. We need an individual relationship with Jesus, but to fully live the life of a Jesus follower, you need other people in your life not just marginally, but in it, in the weeds of it. You see, for many of us, our sins are most revealed within our hearts in the context of other relationships. When somebody gets on your nerves or when you're getting on someone else's nerves. You know, there's some people in our lives that you can affectionately call them EGR, extra grace required. That's free of charge, by the way. Extra grace required. And if you don't have somebody in your life that is an EGR, that just might be you, in fact, to other people. But it isn't easy. Following Jesus in the context of relationships is never intended to be easy, but we need other people always. And it's not only what Paul commands, it's what he modeled with the missionary cohort that he was with in his life, but it's also what he saw from the life of Jesus. One author, Henry Nouwen, points out that the way of a fruitful Christian life requires really just three categories of living, having a a life with God, 
that you have a vibrant individual time with the Lord. That's our next series, Into the Quiet. We're looking at the way that Jesus lived a life in the quiet with his father. But then that life in the quiet will always move us into community. It'll always move us into the context of living life with other people. And then it moves us from time with God, time with people into service with the people we're in community with. It's the threefold way of living that Jesus not only taught and Paul taught, but both of them modeled. Watch this just one passage in the gospel of Luke. We're we're not gonna spend time breaking down this passage, but I just wanna show you the ebb and flow of how this moves in one passage in Luke chapter six, verses 12 through 19. And so this is, uh, I'll kind of read this slowly and just kind of talk about the framework of it. It says, in these days, he, that's Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles, Simon, who was named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, and John, Philip, Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down and stood with them on a level place, and with a great crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and, uh, Judea and Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Notice how this passage moves from night to daybreak to maybe afternoon. But also notice the progression with Jesus is all night with the father, praying and seeking the Lord. And then in the daybreak, he goes and selects his disciples. He chooses a community. And then that same community is on a level place. And now they're moved from night with the father, selecting community into ministry. It flows in this way that time with God, time in community, time doing ministry with said community. Jesus said it, he modeled it. And you're probably thinking, okay, I get it. Jesus did it. I should too. I should probably go and do a Bible study with a few friends who I know that are Christians. That's not what I'm saying at all. That would be good. That would be amazing. Go and do Bible study with other Christians. But if you walk out of this sermon and think, well, the point of what Daniel was trying to get at from Romans 12, 9 through 21 is I should go and do a Bible study. That's not at all what the point is. That that would be good. Like go and do that thing. But we're gonna talk now is like, what is this community and what is this community not? I'm gonna give you four points and I promise there is four. That's a joke that some of you will get. But in this is so two of them are negative and two of them are positive. The first, let's start with the negative. Community is not an organization. What do I mean by that? Well, here at Journey, we talk about our strategy being Journey groups. And that is organized in the sense of with this many people of a couple hundred people organizing them into smaller groups, there's some organization that has to happen in order this to actually be accomplished. That We believe that the best way that you could grow in your faith, the context of discipleship here at Journey is to be in a smaller group of people that we call a Journey group. And in in fact, right after this service, there's all those tables that you passed out in the lobby of all of our existing groups. If you're not in a group currently that you can go and talk with them and and talk about when their group meets and uh, who's in their group and what they do, all those kind of things. And that's beautiful. But in your life specifically, 
Community is not an organization. What do, I, what do I mean by that? What am I trying to get to? That community is not going to happen in this neat, tidy, one and a half hour block on your calendar. You may have a group time meeting, like our group meets at uh, Sunday nights from five to seven. There's a two hour block that, yeah, there's two hours that's blocked off on our calendar where we get together and meet. But community doesn't happen in this neat, tidy box on your calendar. There's going to be a thousand other things that could take that spot or take spot in your life and fill up your Google calendar. And trust me, I'm preaching to the choir and to myself on this. I got a Google calendar that you would faint at. It's color coordinated. It's organized. Every Sunday night, I walk through it and make sure that I know what I'm doing in my week. So for me to say that community is not an organization is me preaching to my, my own self. Because what community and discipleship is is at the heart of this is the word discipleship and discipline are actually synonymous words in the English language that to be a disciple at some level means to be disciplined. And to be disciplined at this level with community means that not everything in your life gets filled to the brim. That in the life of a Jesus follower, to be disciplined means that we actually create clear space where something could happen where we actually didn't plan it to happen. And we plan this empty space in our calendar for God to meet us if he so chooses. And what real community looks like is having space in your life to invite people in, not into these neat, tidy little boxes that you say, you can have one hour on a Monday afternoon, but it's life lived together. It's not just people going into this neat Bible study. We open a Bible, we share a few prayer requests. Yeah, that's beautiful, do that. But that's not at all what Paul is talking about, nor what I'm talking about in this. Yes, the Bible should be open. Yes, there should be prayer requests shared, but that's not all it is. If that's all you're getting at, maybe you could have that in a neat, tidy little one-hour box on your calendar. But discipline looks like clearing space where you can live life with other people, where they can know you honestly, seek to point out your blind spots authentically and love you genuinely. Because if that's what you're looking for, you may be actually able to find it. But if what you're actually looking for is just a a tidy, neat little two-hour box on your calendar, there's plenty of other spaces you could honestly find that. There's sports club, there's political parties, there's social events where you could, with like-minded people, go and enjoy any kind of outing. But what is Jesus talking about and what are we talking about or what, what are we trying to actually get at when we talk about groups and community? Well, community is a way of living. Just think about this in context where we went to Luke chapter six of so this big passage on Jesus picking uh, his 12 apostles, disciples, the, the first followers of him, if you will. And there's these this list that you get in Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel, and even uh, other gospels where they point out these phrases of who these individuals were. Think about it. Jesus took 12 guys, a whole host of others with a variety of backgrounds, a variety of giftings, a variety of even political perspectives, shoved them together in a group and called them family. And we're gonna get along together and we're gonna figure this out. Think about some of the people that that he picked. He picked some fishermen a tax collector, which is also called a Jewish sellout. That Matthew, the tax collector, it wasn't just you know somebody who worked for a bank or a government entity. That Being a tax collector in the Jewish nation meant you turned your back on your kinsmen and said, the heck with you, I'm going to get in mine. I'm gonna manipulate you. I'm gonna 
drain you for every penny that you're worth so that I can live in luxury. That's who Matthew was. And Jesus calls him out of that life and puts him in the context of community. But it's even better. There's another individual in this group called Simon the Zealot. A zealot was a radicalized group of Jewish individuals who hated Rome so badly, they were looking for opportunities to form a coup at any moment to overthrow the Roman government so that they could take it back to the Jewish nation. And a tax collector and a zealot are in the same context of small group. I bet that list was probably needed. Love each other. Don't hate each other. But they're passion for their convictions about what life was supposed to look like was blown out of the water by a guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And now Paul in the Roman church is talking to ethnically Jewish and Gentile brothers and sisters who are now in the same community who have very different opinions about what life is supposed to look like based on their other backgrounds. And now he's putting them together and saying, the spirit of God is going to work in both of you. And you're going to be family together. How does this actually work? This list of 30 commands or 16 to 30 commands is needed because it wasn't supposed to be easy. It wasn't supposed to be something that's stumbled upon. It's a way of living life of failing and getting mad at each other and figuring out a way to get uh, unity from it and, and moving forward, passionately following Jesus and seeking to do it the best way you know how by the spirit of God. Because here's another thing, community, like this is being talked about, is not found. It's not found. I know that different organizations and even probably there's spots still on our website that say find community or find people. But you know, community is not this $20 bill that you stumble upon at Craighead and be like, man, this is great. Or it's even not some spare change in, in your pocket that you, after you wash your clothes, you're like, man, I can go and get another cup of coffee at Shadrach's in the morning. I found a, a couple of quarters and a couple of dollar bills. Like that's not at all what's going to happen in your life. Maybe that's happened to, to you in some instances where you find friendships, but it's not really like that. It's not looking for this perfect group of individuals who think exactly like you think, have same backgrounds as you have, and you're gonna jump in and it's gonna be perfect and spot clean and never have a stain on it. Community is a lot more like that old t-shirt that you just keep circling back to because it's an investment. It's not found, it's not stumbled upon, but it is an investment. And what I'm trying to say here is authentic community is individuals looking to come together and give something, and eventually they'll probably get something. But if you're just looking for what you can have for you, you're probably gonna be massively disappointed because community in this context is looking like I'm coming to give, I'm coming to contribute, I'm coming to share, I'm coming to care, I'm coming to love. Because real community looks like showing up in a crisis, showing up at the surgery, texting all day during the sickness. It looks like celebrating the good times and the high moments of life, but it's also raw, real, authentic, and not at all easy. It would be much easier to hear that community is not the solution that just that follow Jesus, he's perfect. Absolutely he is. And me and him, and he can work out my problems because somebody else who also has problems pointing out my problems is not what I wanna really hear. But 
community by the Spirit of God working in each of us to care and share and love each other is exactly what Paul is getting at when he says things like, hate what is evil, hold on to what is good, and love each other with brotherly affection, serve each other, rejoice with each other, be patient with each other, show hospitality to each other, bless each other, don't curse each other, rejoice with each other, weep with each other, live in harmony as best as it applies to you, Don't seek vengeance. God's got that. When he's giving this list of commands, he knows it's going to be needed. So when your experience of community rubs you the wrong way sometimes, you're probably right on track. And here's another thing that's uh, free of charge. I said there's gonna be four, but we'll just call this a sub-bullet. Community is not always the solution to loneliness. And what do I really mean by even, but I didn't put that on the screen because I didn't want that to be just like, like, it's like community is not the solution to loneliness, but we're getting in relationships. What biblical community is not is person A says, hey, I'm lonely. Person B says, hey, I'm lonely. And they say, hey, well, we're lonely. Let's get together and not be lonely anymore. When that happens, oftentimes what happens is these one or both individuals are looking for the other one to do what only God could actually do in their life. Because biblical community, when it's come from a right place, comes from one beloved and another beloved that knows their beloved by God the Father in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing they can do to earn his love and affection. It's only by God's good grace through his son, Jesus, and his perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection from the dead that they have life in him altogether. It looks like that broken person and another broken person who know their beloved by the Father coming together and trying to do this thing together. Not saying I'm looking from something from you, but we're coming together to try to build a home that's more beautiful than we could ever do on our own. You see, so it's not the solution to loneliness, but you'll probably not be lonely from it. You see, what genuine community is, it's an investment in another from a place of knowing that you and I are indeed beloved by God the Father in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing we could ever do to earn or deserve his love. Therefore, we can come to the table with Jesus at the center and saying, we're just seeking to do this thing together. One author said that real genuine Christian community is where humility and glory meet. Genuine Christian community is where humility and glory meet. For some of us, we're probably thinking that this all sounds like a pipe dream and I've never experienced this. And so I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. This sounds good. The, the Bible, I know, yeah, it's, it's in there. Like all these commands, I'll do my best, but I've never had anyone do anything that you're mentioning at all. I thought we were just talking about getting in a Bible study. I get it. Maybe you haven't experienced it. For me, it was not until uh, a few years ago that I experienced genuine Christian community and I grew up in church my entire life. But just because you haven't doesn't mean you ever won't. And so my challenge for all of us who are in this room, I have something for each one of us. There's just two simple action steps. If you aren't in a group, would you simply just consider Consider what it might look like to be an investment, be an investor in a journey group in this next season of life. 
If you're not in a journey group, would you just consider getting in one? And I recognize and have been praying for those of you who probably aren't currently in a journey group, but have maybe had a bad experience either here or at another church in the context of a group setting. My prayer for all of us has, has, would be that the spirit of God would purge our wrong motivations and our wrong intentions and that God could bring us to this place where we're seeking simply to give and eventually we will receive from him and from others what genuine Christian community might look like in our lives. Now others, those of you who are currently in a journey group, my challenge for all of us, myself included, is would you seek each week to not just tidy up this neat calendar of two hours of this is what our group looks like or an hour and a half and this is where it fits on my calendar, but genuinely seeking to contribute to the needs of others, to care, to love, to text, to follow up, to live a way of life in the context of community. Our process we break down at Journey is simply with the three Gs of would you seek to get closer? Would you seek to grow deeper in your relationships with the Lord and with each other? And would you seek to go further together than you ever could do apart? Would you seek to, as Paul says, one another, one another? You know, there's like 58 or so one another's in the New Testament where Paul says we should love each other, to care for one another, pray for one another. Would you seek this semester, this next season to simply one another, one another? The didactic was an ancient Christian writing where it was a kind of a commentary on how to do church, how to do Christian community. And, and one of the lines in the didactic for the first century church, it says, seek out each day the presence of your brothers and sisters of the saints so that in them you might find comfort from their words. Seek it out, one another, one another. Would you take one of these 28 or 30 commands, 16, however you count, of Paul and seek and say like, Spirit of God, how can I might this semester in my journey group seek to do one of these things that I'm not that great at? Because the Spirit of God has work to do on all of our lives. He wants to transform and renew your mind. And he wants to do it in the context of other Christian community, of other brothers and sisters that you need if you're actually going to love one another, if you're actually going to bless someone, if you're actually going to uh, care for someone and not avenge yourself. If you're, if you're gonna do that, you're gonna need other people in order to do that. What might it look like to genuinely pursue others and, and pursue community? What might it look like? As the Spirit of God works in each one of our lives, what might it look like for us to look outward to one another, one another? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are imperfect people. You are the only perfect one teaching passages like this and scriptures like this too often for us in our modern Western world, it seems like a pipe dream, like this would never be the case, like that was then, but we're now. And would you simply begin to open our eyes to what your vision for community, your vision for church, your vision for walking with each other in the spirit of God might look like in our community? what it might look like to see life change in individuals' lives as we pursue you together. 
as we seek to honor each other and love each other and pray for one another and as we just seek to pursue you together. Spirit of God, would you work in our hearts and lives to open our eyes outwardly and point our intentions and our motivation towards you and towards other people. And may you get all the honor, the glory, and the credit from that as we seek to come to the table with you at the center, pursuing you with our whole lives with others. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?